The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Hey, welcome back. This is Wiz City, Spencer the Wizard talking, and welcome to a new episode of Bruce the Sports Doc. Doc, Doc, Doc. And we are here right now in our studios, and this is the place to be at. NBA Finals Central is right here. Sports Central all around the league is right here. Sports Medicine Central is also here. And on that note, I'd like to welcome in the neurosurgeon himself, the man, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. Well, welcome back, America. As you can tell, things are heating up. This show is going to be dealing with the NBA Finals, a preview, as well as some exciting topics in sports medicine. We always like to start with the bang and that, of course, is the NBA Finals. We want to hear the predictions, and we certainly want you at home to be analyzing our predictions as we head. It's Tuesday, and tonight is the beginning of the NBA Finals. Absolutely. I can't wait for tonight. Kevin Durant, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, welcome the Miami Heat into their building, into the Chesapeake Bay Arena. And that place is rocking. I mean, I have to say that if that's the biggest home court advantage in the NBA is is Oklahoma. And uh, I got to give their fans a ton of credit. Their blue outs, their white outs, just insane. Just just an awesome place to view a basketball game. And I'd love to go there someday uh, to the Chesapeake Bay Arena and uh, – and watch an Oklahoma City game because those fans are really up and at it. But right now, I want to kind of lead the show off, kind of kick it off a little bit, and kind of center this conversation. Um, On Saturday night, LeBron James and the Miami Heat defeated the Boston Celtics in Game 7 and sent them home packing the big three of Boston with their contracts they could be up. You know, first off, I got to give my hats off to Boston for a great series. And really pushing Miami to the brink in Game 7. They were leading with 8 minutes to go. And a lot of people, not even me, thought that Boston had the firepower and had the fresh legs. 
to to compete with Miami, but they really did. Um, and it was a great series. In Game 6, really, my MVP of the series is LeBron James because in Game 6 when the Heat needed a victory and they were on the road in Boston, he came through with 45 points and really helped the team get over the top. But um, Bruce's sports doc, um, who, who is your MVP for the series and um, what would you like to mention on the Miami Heat beating Boston? For that series... The MVP would be LeBron James. He, uh, in each game, stepped it up. He was a central figure. We were just talking about literary topics, you know, uh, uh, on this, you know, as we prepare for the English final tomorrow for, for Spencer. So if you had to look at this, who's the protagonist? Obviously, LeBron James. Who's the supporting characters? Two big supporting characters. Dwayne Wade, uh, I must tell you, if you put together a highlight film from this series, uh, you see Dwayne Wade doing some things that nobody else in the league could do. And by that, I mean driving to the basket, floating in the air, twisting, falling to the ground, whether it be right, left, under the basket, wherever. And somehow, before he hit the ground, releasing the shot and banking it in and, and just spectacular. So we have to, we have to give him mad props for, for that. We also have to give Chris Bosch, um, credit for coming through big. You know, when he was in Toronto, he was the central figure. He was the main guy, the protagonist. But in this final game, Chris Bosh came back from the injury and hit nothing but net. But again, LeBron, 31 points in the final game, monstrous rebounds. Unlike many uh, protagonists, unlike many stars, he really plays defense, okay? So you've got a guy who really play, who plays it all. I think that... The decision and the idea that they have the three coming together in Miami still sticks in our craw a little bit, but you have to give LeBron James for that uh, credit for the series. I agree because you look at this series in Game Five, Boston went into Miami, and when Paul Pierce hit the three over James, Boston had a three-two lead, and a lot of analysts, including Stephen A. Smith, were writing off Miami, saying that Boston could win this game and go to the finals to play Oklahoma City, and everyone was riding Boston coattails, and people were even debating, the could this be the end of the big three in Miami? Could LeBron James be traded? Could Dwayne Wade be traded? So, before game six... Miami had a ton of problems. Eric Spolstra, if they would have lost game six, he definitely, in my opinion, would have been fired. And Miami Heat as a whole would not be going to the NBA Finals. And that would be a huge failure as Boston would go on to win. But we all know who prevented that. And it wasn't Dwayne Wade. He had 17 points. And Chris Bosh, he wasn't a central figure at all in this series. He was hurt for six games of the series. So that only left one guy, one guy to prevent Boston from winning that game at home and kicking Miami out. And that was their chance, Boston, was to stay. Take it to Miami at Game 6 in the TD Garden at their own house. Because that's how road teams win series in six games. How many people expected Boston to really come in the Game 7 and steal the game in Miami? I definitely didn't think so. And I knew that Miami would come back in the third quarter with a punch in Game 7. But... Game 6 was theirs to win Boston, and guess what? LeBron James went 19 for 26, 45 points. One of the greatest performances in recent playoff history. The guy was phenomenal. 
okay? Fadeaway jumpers. His jumper was wet. It was butter the entire game. And he was dunking over anybody in his way. I mean, Kevin Garnett, see ya. Brandon Bass, woo! LeBron James was flying through the air, making ridiculous dunks. And and as he drives down the lane, when he's got momentum, the guy is like a train. I mean, if you've ever met LeBron in person, I mean, that guy is the fittest. He's a freak athlete. And um, game six, he, he put the team on his back when they needed it the most. So LeBron is the MVP. I look at it. We still have some time um, in the show uh, for for the segment. We are beginning the show. I want you guys to stick with us, of course. Um, I want to center us out on a topic, actually, that I've been p- thinking about for a while. And this might take a little bit longer than the, just this segment, but we're going to try to begin this topic, th- this segment. And this is one I want to ask you, Bruce, the sports sock is, as you look at LeBron James and you look at the NBA, with LeBron James in the heat in the playoffs, I believe that the NBA is at an all-time high in interest of fans. And last year, I'd say that after Dallas beat Miami, even though the NBA had a lockout, that finals was so climactic. And fans really remember that NBA finals. And it was such a heart-pounding NBA finals. And Dirk was really a hero. And LeBron went home as a second-place runner-up, but still considered... A loser and a failure by many, you know, frames of mind during the big three. Um, so my question to you is: um, Is LeBron James getting in the finals and, and Dallas winning last year? How high is the NBA right now in interest? And I just want you to talk about maybe how interested you think the whole country is watching NBA basketball right now. Yes. Before we get into nuts and bolts of our predictions, the answer to the question you posed is that I believe the NBA is is really experiencing a renaissance. They're really exciting. I myself, you know, I was disappointed when our hometown Sixers lost. I mean, it was a bitter pill to swallow, and I've always rooted against the Celtics. But I have to tell you, I looked forward to every night to those games, and they each game has a different flavor. Okay, the, the Celtics heat. Had had a had a had a flavor. It was often ugly. It was it was junkyard ball. And it was mano a mano. And 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 I was tuning in to see if the old men, if 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 Pierce, if Ray Allen could play on one ankle and shoot shots, and um, if Kevin Garnett, who who I, I was I was really not enjoying watching against the Sixers, it, it developed you know developed during that a, a dislike of him. And uh, and I was able after a few days to wash out that and and to actually root for the guy and have some sentiments about him, and and so that was a great series. But then we we go to the West. What a great matchup! You know we haven't talked about that yet. San Antonio, a classic team, uh, you know a, a a proven winner for many years, and to watching that against the contrast, the young bucks, the the young guys who would seize the mantle. The really exciting team, the Oklahoma City Thunder, with some of the most exciting characters. You know, you look at James Harden. That guy is probably the most interesting guy. Not the best guy, but he he's a great player. Has an unusual look about him with that beard, but so fast. You look at that beard, he looks like he's like 40 years old on the court. Okay, that guy is fast as lightning. He's also a good defender. He can dribble. 
And he's really, usually he's the leader of the second five. But in the playoffs, he's right there as, as the number three man. Right. This NBA season, we've seen so many players grow up. And Oklahoma City, it was really a changing of the guard in the West. Because you look at the Lakers, you look at Kobe Bryant, he's been there, he's done that. Oklahoma City went out, they beat them in five exciting, riveting games. And then you look at San Antonio. San Antonio got off to a 2-0 lead. You saw Parker, Ginobili, and Duncan. They looked like they were unstoppable. But then the Thunder made some adjustments on D from Coach Scott Brooks, who has done a tremendous job. He put Cephalosha on Tony Parker and slowed him down. And then you look at Harden. Ice in the veins. Cold-blooded three-pointers. Westbrook is so exciting. He's so fast. And then Durant, of course, with the clutch instincts, he could just score in bunches when the when the Thunder really need it. Some great comebacks by Oklahoma City. Changing of the guard in the West for sure. San Antonio in the autumn of their careers and also the Boston Celtics. So the Miami Heat right now, I think they're in their prime. Oklahoma City is still young. They're still before their prime. So NBA is at an all-time interest. When we come back to the segment, I want to talk about LeBron James, and I want to talk about the NBA fans' perspective. It should be really interesting. You're listening to Bruce the Sports Doc, Voice America Network. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, Back to the show. Shanaynay, Tortaloo America, welcome back. This is with City and Bruce the Sports Doc, bringing it back to you old school right here out of the Tasty Cake Studios. All right, so uh, I was talking last time we met each other, which was a couple minutes ago, actually. I last spoke to y'all, America. Um, I wanted to now talk and ask Bruce a golden question that I've had in my mind for a long time. 
I know that the country isn't that excited about horse racing, but you can also this question horse racing could be brought into it actually. A great question this weekend that that I came up with um is this is the golden question really is if LeBron James wins an NBA championship the level of interest and attention in LeBron James in the Heat in the Big 3 in NBA basketball if he wins if he gets that one championship and people you know will stop will the hate stop for LeBron Will the criticism stop for LeBron James? Will NBA fans kind of be turned off by the Miami Heat even more? Will the hatred continue? Um, will the interest still be there next year if the Heat make a deep run? And will the rooting interest be really against him? What would you? What do you think will happen if LeBron wins a championship? And would the, do you think that the large scale of NBA interest? You can mention your personal opinion, but do you think the large scale of NBA interest, if he gets over the hump and wins his first championship, do you think it'll take some wind out of the sails of the NBA? I believe not. I think, like any good story, you need you need a uh, you need a favorite. Okay, in the NFL, it's the New England Patriots. In baseball, it's the New York Yankees. These are teams that you expect to win. And as a fan, you like to see some predictability in the sets. You like to know who the, the king of the mountain is, okay? So if LeBron James wins his championship, number one, there'll be less people on shows like us talking about how he's a choker, how he, he's not as good as Kobe and this and that. And again, Kobe has six. Is it six rings? Five. Five rings. Okay. that's He's my sports historian. That's why he's my co-host. And that's why I'll be a sports doctor. That's why I'll be talking about neurobrain anatomy. Come on, I was barely born when he won his first one. I was five years old. That's right, but you you still are a historian. That's what makes you a historian. <laughs> the fact you could read history. You know, I wasn't born in. The, I didn't live through the Civil War either, but I did read about that. Makes me that <laughs> makes good comeback. Yeah, that makes me a historian. So the answer to the question is: I don't believe it'll make the NBA any less interesting. It will certainly take the pressure off of LeBron. It will certainly deflect criticism from him. As far as people actually embracing him and liking him, I think it will a lot if they do win. It will have to do with the, if, if he shows grace in winning, if he shows respect for the Thunder, if he shows respect for the league, and if he shows humility. For instance, let's say he, he tears up and – or and really, you know, thanks his teammates. In other words, the style that that he exudes when winning uh, will will really play a large role on how he's perceived. But right now, I see the NBA is is strong. I'm looking at the the, uh, the Eastern and Western Finals as I alluded to before. I was riveted. It was must. It was must see TV, and those games were great. And even though my team is done in. For instance, when my Flyers were eliminated, I only watched with a very jaundiced eye. You'll note out there on the Voice of America network that we didn't really cover hockey after the Flyers were eliminated. Um, it, we're just we, we we look at our audience, we look at our demographics. We don't have a lot of hardcore hockey fans. We do have is mostly football fans, concussion fans, not people who want to get hit in the head, but people who want to learn about <laughs> concussions. And also, we, want to get knocked out. we don't want them get knocked out. You know, although it is good for business sometimes. Now we say that tongue in cheek, 
But the fact is, well, we are we are baseball fans. We are basketball. It certainly football is the core. Football, I mean, even hot stove football. I think mostly we have a lot of Midwestern fans that are in the WWE Raw. Chavis and Mark Henry. Well, I know nothing about that. So arena football. Let's let's get back. We won't talk about T.O. and indoor arena football. Allen Wrangler football. Starting quarterback. Do you know? Any takers? Well, we'll have to look that one up in studio. All right. So anyway, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get to my answer now. Do Do you want to hear about my answer, America, or you're just down with what his answer was? Because I had to give him credit. Round of applause. It was a very good answer. But I want to play devil's advocate to him a little bit, and I want to disagree. LeBron James. First of all, when he, when LeBron James loses. Even if you're a Miami Heat fan, how entertaining is it to listen to Skip Bayless after LeBron James loses? LeBron James couldn't do it in the fourth quarter. Wade's Batman. Wade did it. It's Wade's team. It's not LeBron's team. LeBron can't get over the hump. I mean, even what Dan Gilbert says is very was said was very interesting. And most of America is rooting for LeBron not to win a championship. They feel bad for Cleveland. And what LeBron James said really... This stood out to me. Is he said, we don't want to win one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We want to win eight NBA championships. So that's kind of devaluing the prize of an NBA championship. That's kind of taking away the run and taking away the glory of the game. And that's kind of taking away the honor and code of the NBA. That's why I think LeBron is so unlikable. Because even after he won the Eastern Conference Finals, he said all this stuff like, Oh, we're not satisfied. Oh, we're happy to win. Oh, this is a great victory, but we have to take care of business in the Finals. Now, as a fan, you appreciate that. But at the same time, you're not like... Going, you're not going absolutely nuts. You're not going absolutely hysterical. It's not like, whoa, we won. We're the NBA Eastern Conference champions. That's how you should react to it. Like a little kid, LeBron. You should act like you're five years old after you watch Jordan hit the game winner versus the Cleveland Cavs. You should give a fist pump. You should be smiling. Even a little champagne, LeBron, for winning the Eastern Conference championships. To him, he's so much about materials. He's so much about the legacy. He's not living in the now. He's not enjoying what he's doing. He's just rather getting over the stress. He's not like a little kid playing basketball, you know. He's not like he's not like Kevin Garnett or Rondo or or even James Harden who, you know, just gets into the game, talks a little trash like Reggie Miller. He has no pizzazz and no show. And LeBron James he just doesn't play into it at all. He seems like he's so self involved, like he's fighting his inner demons. And he seems like he's all about himself, and he seems like, you know, the prize isn't such a big deal to him, you know. It just seems like he's trying to just get over the pressure, you know. And uh, instead of playing basketball, it's something he loves. It's like he's taking an ACT test, and, like, he's just trying to get a great grade on it, and it's not that much fun. Um, so that that's why I think America doesn't like LeBron, and that's why I'm a little bit – I'm not really that – that big of a LeBron guy, but I'll admit it when he does something great. Now, personally, I think that the NBA, if LeBron wins, I don't think anyone will have any criticism for him. I think that next year in the playoffs, people will not be that interested because there's so many average NBA fans that just want to see, oh, can this guy, LeBron James, on the Miami Heat win a championship? And I think people take pleasure in knowing that a team that stacked the deck like the Miami Heat did are still championless. 
and that they haven't reached the peak and that pretty much stacking your team and not being able to win, you know, is still um is still valid. You have to admit that next year when Calipari gets go, goes with Kentucky to the final four, you have to admit that after they won this year, your interest is going to be lower because Calipari already got over the hump. He already won a championship. Same goes for the Buffalo Bills and Chicago Cubs. But I have to admit that if Buffalo and Chicago wins, a large percentage of the country will be will be celebrating with them and will be happy because it's been a long time and they will really cherish the championship. I don't think LeBron James will. I just think he'll say, "Woohoo! When's next season? Let's try to get another one so we can get like eight NBA championships in Miami." For these fans that I don't even know, for these players that I happen to be playing with, Shane Battier, it was nice seeing you for a couple of years. Same with Mike Miller. Dwayne Wade, you're a good guy. I mean, it's not like winning it for Cleveland, his hometown, a team he grew up with, and a team that he's gotten close with. I mean, it just seems like LeBron and his coach, it seems like Eric Spoelstra just kind of like a, uh, kind of like a parent out there to LeBron, <laughs> kind of like he's a little league coach, you know, come on, Dwayne, come on, LeBron, come on, Chris. It seems like he's not really into, you know. It just seems like he doesn't really have control. It's not like a Doc Rivers, Paul Pierce relationship, like a father and son. And um, yeah, that, that's basically my take on it pretty long. No, that's okay. Uh, there's nothing wrong with in-depth analysis here. One thing, um, just to give another point of view. You look at Boston, and they played within the rules. They signed free agents who wanted to be together. They signed Kevin Gordett, who was with the Minnesota Timberwolves. You know, a perennial loser, a great player who was never going to win. So what did he do? He signed a contract with the Boston Celtics, who are the New York Yankees of basketball. You look at Ray Allen. Ray Allen, excuse me. He was, um, you know, with Seattle for many years. That play, that was going nowhere. Uh, in, you know, until, I think they became the, uh, the Thunder though, right? Uh, yes, yeah. They did. Some. But obviously, they totally remade themselves. So it's not fair to give any credit to the Seattle Supersonics because the OKC Thunders is really, you know, you built from the ground up. But you look at it, what's the difference between Miami? You know, basically, they signed, they had Dwayne Wade, just the way Boston had Paul Pierce. Yeah. And they signed Chris Boss as a free agent. He's like a guard. He's actually less than a Garnett. So you're you're right, actually. And they also, so look, so just briefly, Boston, you know, went ahead and signed, signed Garnett, and they went ahead and signed Ray Allen, and they won an NBA championship. But but you don't hear anybody t- being resentful of Boston. Well, they cheated. It's not fair. No, again, they didn't have the big show, the big decision. Certainly the one hour of LeBron's life that he will always regret because when he played for Cleveland, he, he seemed like a popular player, a nice guy. You didn't hear any negative stuff. In fact, he is a clean guy. You, you never hear about him being associated with guns or drugs or anything. He's clean, but I don't think he gets he, – he doesn't get credit for it. You're right. I mean – I think that the the thing that tarnished his legacy is is um is the eight promising eight championships. That's again devaluing the game. That's like my main hit on him. The decision, I think he was doing it for charity and was pushed to do it, but I just don't see how he didn't see into Cleveland because Cleveland cares so much about him. Don't you think if he was going to Miami that, that doing it on national television would kind of be a slap in the face if you're LeBron James? Was he forced to do it? I mean... 
that that was just kind of remarkable. So he is very scrutinized. With Boston, like Ray Allen is very modest, kind of quiet under the radar character. So I don't think anyone really deeply dislikes him. And then Kevin Garnett is a very emotional player. So he, he does make a big splash. But again, you know, Doc Rivers and the Celtics, they really play as a team. It's not really individuals. Those three don't really take over the game. You know, they allowed Rondo as a point guard to get right in it. Their bench players, Petrus and all of them kind of contributed. And they were all kind of on the back sides of their career. They have all been playing like 12 years in the NBA and haven't won. So LeBron James made his decision like after five years in the league. And LeBron and Wade are the two best players on the planet. Garnett and, and, and um, Ray Allen were... You know, top 20 players. And again, they didn't promise anything in Doc Rivers. They really played team basketball and idolized the team. And when they beat the Lakers, those fans and everyone in Boston celebrated the team championship. With LeBron, he doesn't really celebrate that much. I want to see him be more like a kid, enjoy the moment more, and really cherish it. I mean, maybe after this year, he'll be more comfortable after winning a championship for sure. Because I think he'll lose a lot of critics. Um... And, you know, we're definitely running out on this segment. It's been an amazing segment, though, and uh, I really appreciate Bruce the Sports Stock uh, really holding up the fort, doing a great job. Um, this is this is with City Bruce the Sports Stock. We're going to be right back. More sports talk coming up next. We'll talk a little bit about hockey and, um, and maybe some NBA Finals preview right when we come back. to the pros we we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports dr bruce grossinger is a board certified neurologist and managing partner of grossinger neuropain specialist serving the philadelphia and wilmington delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine pain management interventional spinal surgeries and occupational medicine dr bruce is the director of the national sports concussion program and works as a senior medical advisor for the national high school coaches association We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. 
Now, back to the show. Welcome to the third segment. Bruce the Sports Doc here with City. Um, in the NHL right now, we have the Los Angeles Kings looking for their first championship ever. They got close to Wayne Gretzky in the 90s, um, and they're looking to crack through right now. They've had the best playoff run, uh, only losing one postseason game. They were up 3-0 in the series. New, um, New Jersey has come back to make it a series. 3-2. Game is going um, to Los Angeles for Game 6. This is Los Angeles' best chance to win because if they lose now, they would have blown a 3-0 lead and the series would be tied going back to New Jersey. So for Jeff Quick and my, for, um, for Quick, um, Carter, and Richards, um, flyers and, and a great goaltender who haven't won a cup yet and for the city of Los Angeles uh, this is definitely a, a big show for hockey so they're really looking forward to getting it done and trying to get it done in game 6 In at the French Open right now Nadal and Djokovic is battling it out two of the uh, two of the best players right now in tennis um, are trying to win a French Nadal going for seven French Open titles, and uh, Djokovic just trying to get his name on one. So a great battle going on there, uh, Roland Garros, and uh, right back to Bruce the Sports Doc. He's going to kick us off a little NBA Finals preview. Heat, Thunder. Okay, well let's get right to it. We've certainly uh, teased the crowd enough. You know we've we've danced all around, and it's time to just get right into the beat of it. My prediction is OKC Thunder in six games. The analysis will be Durant will continue to shine. Westbrook and Harden are going to be the racehorses. They're going to be the thoroughbreds who who are going to win out. And obviously they're up against LeBron, who himself is a a, a stallion, a, a tank. But I believe that OKC will just be too fast. I believe that Wade, you know, will, will not be able to keep up with them defensively. I don't believe that um, Bosch is is going to be a, a defensive force, and I think Obaka and the supporting cast, a lot of the guys behind the scenes doing the dirty work for OKC, plus the obvious three stars, are going to have momentum and energy, and just the way they overcame. Who I thought was the best team, the the you know San Antonio Spurs. I didn't think they were beatable. The way they were playing with their great coaching, and I believe that certainly um, Spolstra is is a young guy. I think he's a bit of a coaching lightweight, and I think Scott Brooks really knows how to win. And and really, you know, he got over the hump by beating San Antonio. So I believe it's going to be a, a six or seven game series. I think it's going to be exciting. A lot of subplots. Personally, uh, I'd like to see Derek Fisher be the 14th player in the NBA to win six NBA rings. He was discarded by the, the L.A. Lakers. He wasn't signed back. He would have loved to have played for them. And he's a guy you know, who's been through some personal tragedy. I think you recall, Spencer, about two years ago when his daughter had a serious eye condition. And apparently she's doing better. And I certainly, you know, I hope so. But... You know, essentially, uh, Derek Fisher winning a championship would certainly put him in a plateau and might get him on the fast track to the Hall of Fame. Right. This series right now, um, it, it's pretty simple in my book. It comes down 
to the first two games of the series. And Oklahoma City has two home games. Game one, I like them because I think that they've had a a long time to think about playing the Miami Heat. And Miami just came off an emotional win on Saturday. They have to run into a buzzsaw in Oklahoma City. The home crowd right here, the sixth man in Oklahoma City, is so powerful, as I mentioned. You know, I've thought about this one a lot, and um, I think that Oklahoma City in transition, you know, you even saw Boston get out in transition and put it this way. No offense to Boston, but they're nothing compared to Oklahoma City on the run with Westbrook, Harden, and Durant. So I really like the Thunder in six games. They have to win the first two games, though. They have to hold serve at home because they're winning one in Miami. Only one, if that. So put it this way, um, I think the game goes six, and I like and I like Oklahoma City to win because of the home court advantage, really, and because of their transition. I think Safalosha needs to play big on LeBron James. That's the key. They need to force the Heat to take jump shots, and I think the Thunder are athletic enough to get back on defense. I think that the Thunder have a deeper bench, have more scores that can come off the bench. I think Perkins and Ibaka down low are very suitable. I think Bosch will be shut down by Ibaka. Um, I think Perkins will play well, um, and Cephalosha is really an X factor because if he can chip in offensively and the way he plays LeBron James will be huge. You just can't let LeBron get into the lane, and I think the Thunder will be ready, and I think that Durant really wants it, but I think that the if, you, if the Heat break the ice and win one in Oklahoma City, that series might not even go back to Oklahoma City. If the Heat win one, they're going to be winning at least 3-2 to two once it gets back for Game 6, or it might just be 4-1 Heat and series over. So, so Oklahoma City, first two games of the series, set the tone, and if they win those two games, I think they'll be fine. They'll win one in Miami. That's all you need because you're not going to drop two games when you get back home. So... It seems that we are in agreement. In fact, precisely, we believe OKC will win. If so, as you indicated, the conflict and suspense will remain for the NBA. They will again be talking about LeBron not making it. Again, heightening the suspense. When, if ever, will he win the championship? Dwayne Wade is not getting any younger. And as far as this team... Will they still retain, you know, the the big three? Will Miami maybe unload Chris Bosh in order to get some a better supporting cast? You know, I think that the talking about the Miami Heat failing just um, brightens brightens you know people's days. I mean, I think that after what they said about eight championships, and I think that will bring a smile to people's faces that they still haven't won yet. So you know, that's just my take on it. And I think that the discussions that sports analysts will have all year about the big three will be very entertaining if they are not successful. I want to switch gears for a moment and talk about the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, what a major disappointment they are. Uh, and, and, I'll, and I'll share my thoughts. And in, in the last part of this, uh, I want to hear yours as well. It's just amazing how they're imploding. Uh, Cliff Lee lost, actually was not the losing pitcher, pitcher today. Joe Savory was the losing pitcher in 10 innings. Two straight days, the Phillies lost to the Orioles. They are now eight games behind the Nationals. At this point, Roy Holiday is on the disabled list, along with, really, a majority of good players. 
Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, the core of the team, also on the disabled list. Placido Polanco just tore a ligament. Freddie Galvis, young little second baseman, defensive spark, may have a compression fracture in his pars interarticularis. That's an easy word to say while you're whistling and eating crackers. Speaking, that is, that's a spinal fracture. It may require him to spend a lot of time out. So we look at the Phillies. We see how uh, the $120 million pitchers, Halliday and Lee, have just met, not made an impact. And how you see the Washington Nationals, surprisingly enough, in first place. You know, I compared the Phillies to the Boston Celtics. I have to give Ruben Amaro all the credit in the world. I mean, the way he built this team, he built this team to to succeed in the now. And the now was 2008. When they beat the Rays, they were in their prime. Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, um, Jimmy Rollins, Polanco, Jason Wirth, even Joe Blanton. I mean, this team was in the height with Cole Hamels as the pitcher. Then they got out and signed Roy Holiday, a big name, made it back to the uh, World Series. This team was just like Boston. They had a five-year span of greatness, and Amaro knew that. And then he knew that right now this could be the end this year. And, uh, you know, Phillies fans didn't expect it to happen this quickly, the end. But right now I think it's rebuilding mode for the Phillies. But you got to respect Amaro because there's some franchises like the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Cubs or, you know, athletics that um, – that don't really get over the hump and don't really have those five years of greatness and don't really have a and don't even have a World Series banner in the first place. So you got to respect what the Phillies gave you. They had three maybe Hall of Fame players in here, and it was great to see them in their prime. But right now, um, I, I respect tomorrow when I had a great ride with the team. But right now, um, it's someone else's turn. And uh, it's funny, the Nationals really peaked, and I think that they're peaking even earlier than a lot of people would think. So you got to give them credit and same Florida. We're now nearing the part of the show that, in this case, because we had so much to talk about with the NBA Finals, we really are, are only going to spend one segment on what I think will be a very interesting topic for the listeners, which will be the diagnosis and treatment of low back pain. It's summertime. Everybody, you're out there, you're playing softball, you're golfing, or you're playing a, an organized sport, or you're a professional athlete, and you have low back pain. And you want to know, what, what do I do about it? Well, as a, as a neurologist and board-certified pain practitioner here in the Philadelphia area, in the fourth segment, I'm going to give you the menu. I'm going to give you the answer, the truth about how to treat your low back pain. We'll see you back in three flagship station for sports voice america sports dr bruce grossinger is a board certified neurologist and managing partner of grossinger neuropain specialist serving the philadelphia and wilmington delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine pain management interventional spinal surgeries and occupational medicine dr bruce is the director of the national sports concussion program and works as a senior medical advisor for the national high school coaches association we're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal 
injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. When patients come to see us with neck pain, the first discriminator is to decide whether or not there's a major injury to the nerves, discs, or spinal cord of the neck. We determine this largely from the history. So let's say we have Mr. Jones comes in and says, I have neck pain and stiffness. What I'll ask him is, do you have any weakness, numbness, or lack of dexterity in either arm? And I'll also ask him whether he has any symptoms down into his legs from his neck condition, and further, whether he's had any difficulty with bowel or bladder function. If he has a major neck injury, a big trauma, and he also has problems in the legs, that certainly alerts us to worry about the spinal cord area because the spinal cord in the neck anatomically relates not only to the arms but also to the legs. It goes down into the bowel and bladder. So, If somebody just has neck pain and stiffness that does not radiate, in most cases, this will be what we call a soft tissue injury. That is, it'll be a problem with the muscles, ligaments, or tendons in the neck. And in most cases, this should get better in four to six weeks. What type of treatment do we prescribe? We usually prescribe medicines, anti-inflammatory agents, muscle relaxers, And, at times, other types of analgesics. What type of treatment do we prescribe? We often prescribe physical therapy and often chiropractic care. That is gentle manipulation. Manipulation means when a doctor or a therapist essentially move and help to restore motion in the neck area. And the most important planes of motion include forward flexion, Extension, which is raising your head back, bending to the side, and rotation. So in therapy, we'll often start off by ordering modalities. That'll be heat, coolness, ultrasound, in addition to, at times, some ancillary treatments, including a TENS unit, which is an electrical stimulation unit, and sometimes we'll prescribe a soft brace, something called a soft cervical collar, that the patient could wear at bedtime in order for them to achieve some comfort. So, number one is the mild injuries. Number two is what we call the radiculopathies. That is injuries that involve the discs and nerves in the neck. How can we tell 
that these are more serious cases. Well, often it's a matter of sitting down and talking to the patients themselves. And they will tell you, Doc, my neck pain radiates into my right, my right shoulder and arm. I've got weakness and I've got tingling in my hand. So what I usually do as a detective is I listen carefully to the story. I look at exactly the areas where the muscles are weak and I test the muscles. I use a reflex hammer to check reflexes and I'll also check sensation using things like sharp, dull, vibratory stimuli. In this case, let's call this case two, I find that the patient has weakness of the triceps, that's elbow extensors, weakness of finger extensors, as well as diminished sensation in the back of the head, particularly the middle finger, as well as a diminished triceps reflex. That is, when I bang on the triceps, I don't get a normal stretch reflex. I get a more diminished response. That heightens my sensitivity for pathology at C67. So what will I do then? I'll order an MRI of the neck. The MRI of the neck shows a pretty large herniated disc, a slip disc at C67, pressing on the nerve. Well, how do I confirm there's nerve damage? I personally do a test called an EMG. An EMG stands for electromyography. You probably heard about this. And we do it right here at Grossinger Neuropaid Specialist. So if any of you within the sound of our voice are close to Pennsylvania, New Jersey, or Delaware, we are very proud of what we call our painless EMGs. That is, we use very small micro-thin needles, and you could call us at 610-521-6063 or 6064, and you could say, I heard Dr. Grossinger on the radio. My doctor sent me for an EMG, and I don't want a lot of pain. So what we have is very, very small needles. So the EMG involves an electrical stimuli, that is the patient is sitting there. We will be stimulating various nerves going up to the neck. And then the second part involves those small needles. We'll actually take the needle, place it in the muscle, and the needle will be connected to a television, which is called an oscilloscope. The whole test takes about 30 to 60 minutes. And when we're done, I have an idea of what's going on. So let's say Mr. Jodes underwent this test. Hypothetically, he had a herniated disc at C6-7, pinched nerve on the right side, right-sided symptoms, and when I stuck a needle into his triceps and pronator teres, I noted there was something called denervation, loss of nerve supply. Also, when I placed the needle in his neck, I also saw loss of nerve supply. So we have to understand anatomy as doctors. When there is the posterior primary rami of C7, that is the neck muscles, as well as the triceps, pronators, and finger extensors, I, as a doctor, can tell the patient, not only do you have a disc in your neck, but also a pinched nerve, a right C7 radiculopathy. That's what we call radiculopathy, which in Latin means a problem with the nerve. Empathy means disease of the nerve. So that's what is going on right there. So we've established the injury, a disc injury, nerve injury. In this case, the spinal cord is okay. That is, bowel, bladder, and legs are fine. How do we treat it? Well, number one, physical therapy, modalities, heat, ultrasound, gentle motion, bracing, as well as medicines, including anti-inflammatories, 
analgesics, and muscle relaxers. The, the next step in treatment is what we call intervegetal spine care. We do that right in the office here. We have two operating rooms. What we do is we have a very thin needle under fluoroscopy. A patient's laying on a table. We have a whole operating room team. What we'll do is we'll place that needle directly through a three-dimensional x-ray, find exactly the spot, and we'll put medicine, usually something, a corticosteroid called Decadron and a local anesthetic agent. And we'll usually do those injections every other week for three times. About 70% of the time, the patient has substantial benefit in pain relief and reduced muscle spasm with the epidural injections. Let's say the patient has progressive muscle weakness and associated ominous symptoms such as bowel or bladder and or leg weakness. That is, a herniated disc can impinge upon the spinal cord as well. At that point, we would send the patient to a spinal surgeon that is either an orthopedic surgeon or a neurosurgeon, and if necessary, they may undergo a neck surgery. What are the most common neck surgeries? When one has a single disc which is confined, the usual surgery is called a laminectomy. That is, the surgeon goes in, cuts out part of the bone on the back part of the neck. They'll go in and remove the disc. That's called a discectomy. And they'll stabilize the area with a fusion. There are many new ways to fuse the spine and protect it from further injury. They include bones, allograft usually, that is, a bony graft from the patient's iliac crest, their hip bone. Rarely, they can use bones from a cadaver. And most recently, there's hardware, such as titanium plating. And that is, we have a metal plate and screws, which are attached and screwed in to protect the bones, the vertebral segments, above and below the area of the injury. There's also a new technique, which is called an artificial disc replacement. The FDA has approved artificial disc replacement in the neck and back. They've approved it under certain circumstances where there is one level of disease and therefore there is one artificial disc. So instead of fusing the area and putting bone in there or plates, what they'll do is they'll use an artificial disc, that is a disc which is synthetic and which has the same abilities to act as a shock absorber, and that is essentially placed surgically into the patient's body. These new artificial discs are extremely compliant, provide a lot of absorption, and have a very low risk of rejection from the patient themselves. So, we've gone through a whole litany of treatment, starting with diagnosis, as well as physical exam, MRIs, EFGs, injections, physical therapy. I've told you about surgery. Well, after the surgery, the patients will usually need to be in a hard collar, a Philadelphia collar, for anywhere between three and six months. And what that does is it allows the bones to fully stabilize and fuse and allows there to be structural return of stability to the neck. 70 to 80% of patients with surgery will do much better, though there are a few patients who may have something called a post-laminectomy syndrome. This is usually caused 
when there is excessive scarring in the area, which is called epidural scarring, the patients also can undergo recurrent disc herniations. That is, let's say this patient who had a C6-7 herniated disc got a fusion, and a year later they developed another herniated disc above the level of the fusion at C5-6. Regrettably, mechanically speaking, there is a risk of recurrent disc disease above and below the area of a fusion, and that has to do with the spinal mechanics. Following the surgery, following physical therapy, there's usually a period of rehabilitation for four to eight weeks. And then the patient can involve themselves in retraining, that is strengthening the muscles, stretching, and essentially gradually returning back to either employment or returning back to training for their sport. If this is an athletic injury, they will often go through a very graded return to sports. The exertion will be monitored typically by a trainer or exercise physiologist, and eventually the patient could could go back to playing sports. With respect to neck surgeries, the typical time for professional athletes, it's usually about a year out of service. So with professional hockey and football, somebody goes through a neck surgery, laminectomy, infusion, they're usually out for a year. There are some rare cases where patients, typically due to their age, are advised not to ever return back to their sport of interest. So let's summarize. In this segment, we talked about what happens with neck injuries. We talked about being the doctor and receiving the information and how the story itself can tailor us to appropriate treatment, to appropriate diagnosis, treatment, including MRIs, EMGs, physical therapy, chiropractic, injections, and surgery. So this is a pretty comprehensive overview, and we hope you enjoyed this segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then.